much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror business. Greetings and salutations, my name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 98 of Har Business. Horror Business. And today is a very special episode because we are joined by a very special guest. Not that we don't have, like, every guest is special in their own way. But today's guest is extra special. <laughs> we are joined by fellow Cinepunk and armed leftist Adriana Gobert. Gobert? Gobert? <laughs> I'm not saying Gobert. Yeah, why would he do that? That's only my, the actual pronunciation of my name. We, we have to be fancy. <laughs> Go Bear is pretty good, though. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Um, Adriana, I just want to look, hey, I just want to, I want to address something right up front, okay? Are you ready for this? Sure. This, this is what I need to address. Adriana is the person who was smart enough to say this awesome movie, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, that we both love. Is coming onto Shutter, and you guys should cover it. That was her insight, and I, I'll be straight up with y'all, Justin. How often do we say to each other, "Oh, this is coming on Shutter. We should cover it." How often have we had that conversation? Too many times. Really, I was about to say never. I don't remember us ever having that conversation. Too many times. The point is, I just want to give Adrian all the credit. If this seems like a particularly insightful. Like, oh, good timing on the Harvest's folks. This was all Adriana's idea. I want to give her all the credit. Yes. Not that, not that we hadn't planned to cover this. This was definitely on our list. But uh, her pointing out that it was actually relevant right now was, like, really helpful. And I just want to say thank you straight up front for that, Adriana, because we would have missed it and covered it in, like, a year or something. Well, I appreciate that. I don't think it was necessary for you to credit me for that. But it was awfully nice of you. Well... I appreciate it. And your willingness to come on. Although I, I did realize like we need to have you on sometime to talk about uh, uh, other movies. So you're not just like our queer correspondent. Like I don't want to be like Adriana is just like our our uh, queer friend in the field. You know, like like you, you can come on and talk about anything, Adriana, any movie you want to talk about. Sure, but, but I, I just want to make it clear. I, I am perfectly fine being pigeonholed as the queer horror lady. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, that, I, that I, I hear you. very much my wheelhouse. So. Yeah. Well, and there's a reason we both love this movie, and uh, that that as well as some of the performances is, is part of the reason why. Um, but oh man, I'm, I'm so stoked! And and then I got to give credit to my co-host who, when we were we decided to cover this, he immediately brought up Nightmare on Elm Street two, another movie that we've talked about on the show, but we've never covered officially. And these are two movies that I've been wanting to cover for a long time. So I'm, I got to say, y'all, I'm really excited for this episode. It's worth pointing out that. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 stars Mean Adriana's personal friend, Mark Patton. We know him. <laughs> we've met him. We've hung out with him. We know him. I've, I've met him a few times, actually, and, and he's just a really wonderful, down-to-earth, uh, lovely human being. Correct. I've, I've, I only saw him at the one uh, screening that you took me to, Adriana, but he seemed perfectly lovely, and I, that, that documentary is just awesome. Oh, um, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, for yep. anyone who is curious about that. I still, unfortunately, haven't seen that movie, or that, that documentary. 
Oh, it's very good and also very enraging. Yes. Oh, I believe it. You know, what, what he went through was appalling. And he, yeah, he's I mean, just a, a, an incredibly resilient person. And I think he, he wound up kind of getting his, his due eventually, but it, it took way too long. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the, um, the section on the film in the, um, the, like that, like nine hour documentary they made on the nightmare films, like even the small section that they dedicated to that made me want to murder Bob Shea. Bob Shea, David Chaskin. Yeah. We'll yeah. get into this. Yeah. And and uh, yeah. the name of that documentary is um, Never Sleep Again. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I want to point out for people who have seen Scream Queen, um, there is a uh, there is a uh, a moment in there at a at a uh, convention where a uh, gentleman uh, who is known from uh, the hardcore scene as having a sudden turn towards being a jerk off recently, uh, he's in that movie saying homophobic things, and I just thought, oh, that's fitting. That's good to know. He was already he was already heading down the path towards being a jerk off and he's only confirmed it recently so you know it's if people who know you'll watch that documentary you'll say oh isn't that so and so from that band and it is that's him (laughs) that's unfortunate dude sucks all right anywho before we get into all the various homophobic people we would like to see beaten up let's talk about why we're how not why but how we are here today justin who do we have to thank for for being here today on this episode as every first episode? Off, first off, I want to thank the Lord God up above for giving me the opportunity to do this. <laughs> Praise secondly, the Lord. <laughs> secondly, I want to thank our patrons on Patreon for giving us monies that allow us to take less of a hit. We appreciate that very much. Um, I know I say this quite a bit. I know Liam says it quite a bit, and I'm sure Josh says it. I'm sure everybody says it a bit, but um, whatever y'all are ready, I have several uh, Patreon-exclusive clips on my computer of me talking about my some of my favorite songs of all time and how they affect me. So that's one of the many free things that are not free because you're paying for something. Uh, that's I'm going to put that as like a, like a baseline. Any, any person who donates anything gets access to that. Um, well, we just put it up on the on the Patreon, man. You just send them to me, and then I put them on the Patreon. I'll send them to you as soon as we're done recording. Sick. Um, yeah, if you want, if you're interested in becoming a patron and you know lightening the the the, the financial load of the Cinepunks empire, you can just head to www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. You know, if you if you already donated, thank you very much. You make this uh, you enable us in the best way. It's not like you know you're not enabling like buffoonery but uh you are sanctioning um intellectual furthering and uh cinematic elitism so thank you i appreciate that who else do we have to thank i don't know I oh, don't know. oh man you know who else we have to thank i was thinking about this because i was just thinking about how me and justin we've started this uh all kazoo cover band yes where we cover uh the uh the hits of norwegian black metal in kazoo form and uh the 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 group you know we we don't we haven't settled on a name yet there's a few that we're thinking about 
Um, but what we need to really to really make this work for us is merch. And you know, we're not going to do T-shirts. That's obvious. Everyone does T-shirts. Who needs T-shirts? We were thinking uh, to screen print some baklavas. You yes. know, uh, so people would have the logo right across their face. And if we were going to screen print those uh, metal kazoo baklavas, where would we get them screen printed? I would recommend if you want to if you want to if you want a quality product printed by a quote unquote quality quote unquote human being quote unquote, you can head to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, the premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley Lehigh Valley area, possibly Pennsylvania, possibly the fucking planet Earth. If you if you look. If you want to hear me and Liam do a kazoo cover of Mayhem's Freezing Moon, you need to go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and demand that Chris reject print your thing up so it keeps making him money so Liam and I can put this off for as long as possible, but Chris Mm. reject can sustain his company so that when we're ready for it, he can do it, I guess. That works. That works. works. That's fine. I got there. I I think you guys should call yourselves Kazemperer. (laughs) <laughs> or um no i was gonna say kazerzum but no i like that i've been trying to combine uh kazoo and cthulhu this whole time and haven't been able to come up with anything good kazulu the call of kazulu kazulu yeah mm-hmm. that was remarkably simple but i did like it just on its own i needed something more whatever who cares anyway Anyway, if you're interested by our bullshit and Chris Rezek's bullshit, you can head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Do not let the X's fool you. Chris Reject is a sodden uh, man obsessed with spirits and uh, vapors and tinctures. He's not straight edge. <laughs> Tinctures is an underused word. Can I say that? I agree. I like that. He is very obsessed with tinctures. He is. Um, we also want to thank our sponsors at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, the 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 homie Aaron Dahlbeck. You might know him from Bane, Converge, Be Well. Uh, you know when he was touring with all these bands, he was constantly on a quest for the you know the the best cup of coffee he could find, and sometimes that was harder than you would think. And so uh, he decided to start his own coffee roasting company, Essex Coffee Roasters, to sort of take some of the mystery away from quality coffee, to offer the freshest, highest quality coffee at an affordable price, uh, and take away a little bit of that that uh, that elitism and help people understand, like, not only to get this coffee, but to know the best way to brew it, uh, and, and, and for him to explain to folks what the differences are between the various coffees from various places. And uh, Essex just does an amazing job. Uh, they have great coffee they have amazing teas uh they have a variety of merch options for you uh and if you go there right now uh to essexcoffeeroasters.com and you order uh whatever it is you want tea coffee uh a hoodie you put in that code what is the code justin for them to get that 10 percent off it is a capital c capital i capital n capital e capital p capital u capital n capital x cinepunks and all capital letters for 10% off of your order at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Go get some coffee, y'all. It helps us out. It helps Aaron out. You're going to get some great coffee. Do it up. And, and you we owe can, him. 
I mean, I don't know that you do, but you, no, maybe you do. you do. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. That sounds right. Go get some coffee. SSCoffeeRoasters.com. We appreciate it. Now comes the time in the podcast when I am a high school basketball player and there's a scout for university, Boulder, Denver, doesn't matter, in the crowd. And my girlfriend, who is a photographer, and we've kissed on the lips, okay? We've kissed on the lips. I, I, the big game. And my good friend, William Paxton, passes me the ball. And suddenly I feel woozy and I, I fall over. And my aunt, who is certainly not my mother and certainly doesn't want to fuck me, comes over. And as I drift off into the sweet embrace of oblivion, I, I look around and I see my friend Liam. And then I, I say, no, I'm not going to ask what, what he's done involving hard research. So I look around. I see my friend Adriana up in the stands, shocked and appalled that I am doing so badly in this basketball game because usually I am feeling it. And I say with my last words before I slip into the dusk of unconsciousness, Adriana, what have you done involving Har recently? Um, that's a good question. I wasn't sure where you were going with that at first. Um, <laughs> Trust me, knowing wasn't going to be helpful. That was the longest possible <laughs> pier. That was such a crazy runway for not much of a takeoff. I, yeah, I do like how, how you weaved some butcher baker nightmare maker plot points into that incredible story that was an ex a very deftly executed justin um I, i've i've been I, called the deft execution of my ex of my generation <laughs> <laughs> uh well to tell you the truth i haven't done a lot of horror related things recently i think um the last horror movie i watched was um you know our good friend robert scavarla hosted a virtual screening of the Queen of Black Magic, the original, which is uh, this Indonesian supernatural horror film with some slasher elements. And um, it, it's kind of like an unofficial sequel to the Shaw Brothers Black Magic films. Um, it's it's very much in conversation with those films. And it, it's pretty fun. It has some really cool practical effects. Uh, and I believe a remake just recently came out. I have not seen it. But um, that was pretty good. But that was really the only horror film I've watched lately. Um, I know last night I watched, I rewatched the Canadian exploitation film Siege, also known as a self, also known as <laughs> self defense, um, at a screening William hosted again virtually. And I mean that's not a horror movie in any traditional sense, but it does kind of focus on a very real social horror uh, of bigotry and homophobia, um, much like one of the movies we're going to be discussing today. Um, and, uh, yeah, I liked it even more the second time around. You know, I, I think Rob put it really well when he said that the movie kind of acts as a, a call to action for allyship. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and it's a really great sort of critique of you know, vigilante movies and the kind of uh, more reactionary politics of those types of films. But it's also, it doesn't, it doesn't sacrifice any of like the grittiness and grossness of, of that genre either. It, it's pretty effectively gnarly, but it has kind of a more progressive message than was typical for that kind of film. Uh, anyway, it, it's, it's, it's pretty great. So well, if, something that kind of gets lost a little bit on it too, is that it, 
if you take the whole thing into account, kind of functions as an anti-cop movie, which it, oh, yeah. it, it could be the opposite, right? Because the inciting incident appears to be a cop uh, strike. And so it's like, well, now that there's no cops, suddenly there's these fascists. But, you know, I don't think it's a real spoiler to anyone to know. Guess, 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 uh, guess what these uh, fascists do at their day jobs. <laughs> you know, the they're re- makers. Uh, yes, they are bakers, some of them. But some of them are cops, and I don't think that's a big surprise. And to me, the Weird. whole movie is good, but that final insight is so good because there's a there's a risk with any movie that starts with a cop strike in which bad things happen. It's like, oh, no, if only the cops hadn't been on strike, they could have solved this situation. And it seems pretty clear, like, no, no, that wasn't going to happen either. Yeah, it's it's great. I love it. I love it. I'm glad you could come. I'm glad people liked it too. I was, you, you never know with something like that, that if people, if it's going to work for people, you know what I mean? If people are going to be bummed on it, but we got a really good response. I think it really resonated with the audience who, who, who came out, came out virtually, let's say to watch it. Liam, what did you do? Well, I gotta be honest, other than what me and Adriana were just talking about, which is rewatching, um, siege slash self-defense. I haven't watched a lot of horror either since the last time we recorded. Granted, we did record pretty recently, but between the two movies we were watching, I haven't watched a lot. However, a friend of mine recommended something to me called a, let's say, a publication called Hellebore. Have you guys ever heard of this? No. Hellebore no, is a, you know, it's it's sort of walking a fine line between a academic journal and a zine. You know, it's a little too flashy and well, uh, well, uh, graphic designed, let's say, you know, uh, to be an academic journal. But the writing in it is beyond like fan writing. It's like, it is kind of like fan writing, but it's fan writing often by people who are also pursuing their PhD, if you know what I mean. And it is, uh, it is a, the, the subtitle of it is a summoning of ancient terrors. Uh, so I got a, the first three issues of this uh, of this uh, journal zine, and uh, it's all an exploration of folk horror. So the first issue uh, came out in 2019, specifically on Halloween 2019. The first issue was released. It's very slick. It's about the size of like a a little bit bigger than a paperback book. Uh, it's not super thick, but it's very glossy and very pretty. Uh, this is called The Sacrifice Issue. From his blood, the crops would spring. And it has all kinds of writings on um, folk horror and uh, English history, witchcraft stuff, and whatever, whatever. Uh, issue, hold on, let me find the one that I'm looking for here. Uh, oh, yeah. Issue number two. Um, the Wild Gods issue has a piece by Alan Moore in it. Um, it has Ooh. a piece on the voodoo drums of Cornwall, the Great Pan and Albion. Um, issue three, uh, Lucifer over Lancashire, Conjure Wives, the Ackenham Devil, and uh, various forms of supernatural subversion. Uh, and it looks like, if I'm looking at this correctly, they do two issues a year. So they did one in Sam Hain and then one um, 
at the uh, spring equinox. And so they do one uh, uh, on Samhain and the spring equinox every year. And they're very well done. I mean, the writing is very good. Like it's, like I said, I would call it accessible, but kind of academic at the same time. But it's, instead of it being in like a boring form, there's amazing art and graphic design throughout so that it, it feels like a more glossy kind of zine uh, look to it. Anyways, it was recommended by a friend, and I'm, as you all know, I'm very interested in folk horror, and I've been trying to work on a piece that, you know, explores folk horror and some of the the ideas in it, and I just haven't had, I haven't had that wherewithal to get it done. So I'm hoping that reading these will help me get inspired. But uh, if people are interested in checking it out, the website is Hellebore H E L L E B O R E Zine bigcartel.com so don't be afraid at the price I mean it's not expensive but it's more than I would normally pay for a zine but I knew going in that they were pretty well made and they're like super like these aren't going to fall apart anytime soon these are a long term investment Justin how about you what have you done recently related to horror um, well today I started watching The Flood of the Navigator which is a horror movie um <laughs> That aside, last night I watched a little movie called The Block Island Sound, which is on Netflix, so you can go there and watch it. I have Netflix. That's where I saw it. You can go there, too, and see it. I haven't seen this movie getting, like, a ton of buzz. Like, I, I know Blood Disgusting had a review, like, a, a, a decent review of it. Um, I think this movie deserves more – it warrants a further look because I think it's – I think it's – it's too good for people to like not see. And I'm not saying it was this like groundbreaking, like mind blowing piece of cinema, but it's, it's a movie that I haven't seen when I say it, it hasn't been, I haven't seen it get enough buzz. I, I, that's what I mean. It's like, this movie is too good for people not to see it. Um, it's one of those films that like has a, like it's a very clear allegory for something um, and even, even if there was no actual external threat, the allegory is clear enough where it is upsetting. Um, it's, it's about like, uh, dementia and watching that come down the family line. Uh, I mean, that's not what the movie's about, but that's, that's the, the, the kind of like, that's how it's presented is like these supernatural events are going on and they're being chalked up to our father had dementia and now you, my brother, have dementia. Um, and it's terrifying. You know, that, that's, that's such a scary thing to see work its way down a family line. Um, but, I mean, it also, had, it also had elements of, like, a possession film. Sure. Um, it had elements of, like, uh, almost like a whodunit, like a murder mystery. Like, not much, but it was, like, there was, like, a thin layer of that. Um, and then it, it wasn't, it wasn't, like... Cthulhu-y like there was no tentacles or anything like that but it was next to the ocean and when scary yeah. things happen in the ocean the mind goes to Lovecraft and uh, I just thought it was like a nice it was a nice Saturday night movie um, you could certainly do worse for like a movie on Netflix uh, it's creepy enough to you know get under the skin but not creepy enough where it's going to cause you any actual like emotional damage you know like it's a movie that you love and loves you back. Unlike, you know, 90% of the stuff I watch, which just upsets me to the point of, uh, you know, hating myself. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's all I've really done involving involving horror recently. So hmm. I'm a bad I'm a bad horror podcaster. Whatever it happens, man. We all got a lot going on. It's fine. Uh, I get I, vaccinated tomorrow. Take that. Oh man, I'm I, I I am jealous, but I did just get my first appointment, so I think I'm. If everything goes well, I'm getting it on Thursday. So yay, cool. Adriana. When are you getting stuck? I have my first appointment booked on for next Friday. Actually, <sighs> I'm so glad to hear it's. Ha- I mean, don't be wrong. When I first started hearing about friends getting vaccinated, I actually only experienced envy, like true resentment, <laughs> because out here. I, I, I'm not saying it's easy anywhere, but it just seemed like people were getting a lot more attention. Whereas in for people who don't know, I'm in the Chicagoland area. I'll, not a lot of people I know are getting it here. So I just was like, man, I wish I still lived on the East Coast because this sucks. But it looks like I finally am going to get an appointment. So I'm pretty excited. So now that I'm on the in list, I'm like, yay, everyone's getting vaccinated. Yay. <laughs> Are people yeah, in your area I, I, not I, getting it because the rollout is very slow, or are they, you know, the anti-vaxxer types? Oh, I don't. The vibe I get is that at least okay. I live in a bit of a bubble right now, not just because I don't like people who don't agree with me, which is true. I don't, but that's not really why. I live in a bubble <laughs> because I'm actually quarantining. So, like, I've lived in the Chicagoland area since July, and I probably know. 10 people total which for an extrovert like me is like not a lot of people but i just haven't been meeting new people so is it possible that there is an anti-vax movement around me that i don't know about sure but as far as i can tell everyone i know wants to get it and yet have had trouble and specifically just to like give you guys like a scale of it the governor you know i was in group 1c so basically you know, older people and people who worked in healthcare were going to get it before me, people who worked in teaching and stuff like that. And then people like me who have pre-existing conditions were in the third group. And I guess that got a lot of pushback on the governor because there are some people like as a diabetic, I'm in danger, but there are people with pre-existing conditions who are even in more danger than I am. And they felt like that was not enough of a priority. So he announced that we were being moved up to group 1B, which in theory is right now. Only my county was like, nah, fuck that. We don't have enough vaccine to do that. So we're just not going to do it. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually driving over an hour away for my uh, appointment because my county just won't let me have a vaccine. So that's fun. That's where that's where we're at is that that's the rollout, you know. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not unique, but every place is different. There are lots of places where people seem to be getting it. Like, I, I you know, I saw someone say it, it feels like either people are waiting for their appointment in, like, July or people are like, I don't know, I just walked out of my house and someone stuck a needle in my arm and now I'm vaccinated. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> like there's no level. It's, like, it's either really easy or really hard. And it, around me, it just seems to be not impossible. I do know some people who've gotten it, but more difficult than probably it should be. Yeah. Um, Especially because, let's be clear, I'm right outside of Chicago. I'm not in the boonies or anything. Like, I don't know. I get the feeling if I was in the boonies, I might be able to get a vaccine even easier than where I'm at. So, oh, well, it is what it is. I, you know, I'm not going to complain. I have an appointment. That's all I need. I'm going to get it. That's great. So it's all sunshine and rainbows. It will be. Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> Until yeah. there's a variant and our vaccines don't matter. Until, okay. a, until actual Captain Trips happens, and then 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we usually do it in chronological order, but today our guest has requested something otherwise. And I, for one, am a people pleaser, ergo, we're going to do a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, colon, Frederick's Revenge. It's a I made you bend to my film. will. <laughs> yes, we have been bent to Adrian's will. So, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, get ready to talk about Mark Patton's fucking stellar breakout role. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I think come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, mine. Of yeah, I would, I, role, yeah, but... I think that's true. I, I, you know what? I had no idea that film existed until three seconds ago. I'm going to go. Robert home. Altman, oh. man. Robert Altman, buddy. It's really good. Okay. We'll be right we'll back. We'll be right back. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. <laughs> Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Jesse, fight him! Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> and we are back to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. The 1985 supernatural slasher film directed by Jack Shoulder and written by David Chaskin, starring Mark Patton, Kim Myers, uh, Bobby England, and Robert Russler. Uh, it is the obvious sequel to a little movie you might have heard called Friday the 13th. No, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's Freddy Krueger. Um, I'm going to spring something on you guys. And I was debating throwing this in the text message, but I didn't because, you know, uh, I'm like I'm like the left-leaning Rush Limbaugh. I say what people are thinking, and I don't take any prisoners. And I'm not taking any prisoners right now. Excluding the first one, what are your rankings of the Nightmare films? Well, it's been a long time since I've watched most of them. I will say that I enjoy this movie better than the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And my, my two my two favorites in the franchise, I think, are this and New Nightmare. Oh, Adrian, of the, the ones that best. I can recall. Holy shit! I love no, that. I don't agree, but I love that. That's why. Well, you don't have that's to why agree. you and I are friends. <laughs> we I, like. I would hope we're friends we for like more reasons than that, but yeah. How about you, wrong, Liam? What are your wrong voices? Uh, oh, my gosh. See, this is the difference. Me and Adriana would just be like, oh, really? Oh, uh. But I knew as soon as she said, I'm like, no, this is going to be an opportunity for Laura to dunk on me. Here we go. Yes. Here, here it comes. No, um, excluding number one for me, if we're just talking about the sequels, uh, two and three are co-equal for me of like just movies I love. And then... Um, New Nightmare is the only other one I enjoy. 
and I don't like any of the other ones. Fair enough. Um, I think four is not unwatchable, but I don't it, I don't have positive feelings for it. Um, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's fine, but I don't. I'm not like, oh yeah, throw on four. That sounds like a good time. But two and three to me, I I love them both. I think they're both uh, very enjoyable, and I've liked them for a long time. I think. Uh, becoming more aware of some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I don't even think you could say subtext. Some of the text of two. Some of the super text. Yeah, I, I, which I was unaware of when I was a kid. I, I, you know, I guess I couldn't say unaware. I thought something was going on, but I just wasn't as, uh, you know, tuned in as I am now. Uh, that's improved, obviously, my experience of it. But I actually, you know, have thought it was, a, you know, a movie that was uh, important to me for a long time. I really was sold on the first three Nightmare on Elm Streets, you know, my whole life. And, uh, you know, I, I guess in retrospect, I only have recently come to have a better appreciation for New Nightmare. I think when New Nightmare came out, I liked it, but I just wasn't as excited about it. Um, but I still like it, but it, it's just not as important to me as two and three, which are, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't even... I don't even take offense necessarily or to people like you and Adriana who might say this is better than one. It's just for me, one was it. Like one was how I got into horror. Like one sure. is like my intro. It's, it is such a cataclysmic phenomena in my life. Like it's an event. Like when I, when I describe the first time on street, I feel like I'm describing an event in the philosophical sense. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. I can't, I can't approach it. It's like unapproachable in some ways. That's that, how like, Hellraiser is for me. Sure. Yeah. I. Oh man. If I had seen Hellraiser, I think. I. Yeah. Well, we we don't need to get. I would totally go down that. We talked about that on an episode though. So, um. All all, all I'll say is, Nightmare on Elm Street is still for me the top, the top of the pops. Let's say, but two and three both are pretty important to me, and I think, um, I think there is something. As much as I want to see, say two and three are co-equal, I am well aware that that might just be because three, um. For for a number of reasons, some of which I don't want to go into, three has been a, an important part of my life. Actually, it's just been there at certain moments that I feel are important to me, and so um, it stands out in my mind. If it wasn't for that, I might put two over over three definitively. That's fair. Yeah, you don't ever need, you don't ever need to defend any of your opinions to me, contrary oh. to what you believe. Oh, I appreciate or that. Or me, because I'm yeah. I'm very very weighed back about this sort of thing. Like, but I, I think it's part partly because I'm just not very invested in the big horror franchises right, in right. general. But I, I also I'm I don't really understand this strange sort of competitive uh Oh thing to that be fair, me and horror movies. To be fair, me and Laura only have that because he has a number of opinions that make me angry. And so then we just act like we're always at war over certain things. Yes. But uh but in reality, I don't actually care. If I it's, actually it, cared, it, we wouldn't be on this podcast together. That's yeah, true. it's a work. It, it's like it, it's like how me and Liam's relationship on the show is kind of like the time that Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik got pulled over. <laughs> it's like that. That's a perfect um, reference. A reference that totally flew over my head, but I know it's a wrestling reference. Uh, well, uh, it's the whole thing of like, um, that's how... That's how wrestling, how they they blew the lid off. That like rest, they acknowledge that wrestling was fake, oh, because okay. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Yarn Sheik were like mortal enemies, and then they got pulled over like while they were driving to an event, and the cop was like, "I thought you guys hated each other," and they were like, "Uh, yeah." 
That's fuck the Iron Sheik. <laughs> that's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. To be fair, Justin left out the part of all the cocaine, which was oh yeah, how- also a thing. <laughs> they were both whacked out of their fucking heads on coke. Um. So it- go ahead. No, I was just gonna. Yeah, I was just gonna talk talk a little bit about like, uh, you know how it, it's for me the nightmare movies. Like when I was younger, I thought I was like kind of a badass because I'd be like, man. The other ones are okay, but fuck a new nightmare slaps. And then it was, it's only been probably within the last maybe seven years, six or seven years where like I've come to acknowledge that like some of these other movies are actually like rather good, including part two. Yeah. Like it, it took me to, to reevaluate that has been like a relatively recent, uh, recent develop, develop development for me. Well, I think part of my when I talk about these movies and I, and I sort of put one on a pedestal too, it is obviously biographical. It's also a way for me to give. I'm trying to be forgiving of people who I think are not fair to two, because um, I want to be mad at them, and I don't know that that's always justified. In some cases, it is, but I don't know if it's always justified. But I have to remind myself, like, well, one is such an event. I guess I could understand where, like, if you if you're going from one to two, they're they're very different movies in certain ways. So maybe like they, it wasn't satisfying because because there's so much stuff going on in this movie, and because so much of the rejection of this movie in my mind is so clearly tied to homophobia. Uh, even though uh, you know yes. the message of the movie is very complicated, so it's it the, the homophobia itself is kind of confused. But um, the the so much of it is tied to the rejection, and, and honestly. I really believe after watching Scream Queen, the rejection of of Patton himself, like like just his performance, like they're rejecting him, and it's like right. so fucking unfair that it's really hard for me to hear people be like, I don't know, it's okay, it's not really my thing, and not be like, yeah, you would say that motherfucker, you know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to like be fair, and so I acknowledge like, well, one is like a really important movie to a lot of people. It's a really important movie to me, so I get it. But I've never been someone who saw two as this like massive drop off you know like i've never quite understood that relationship even though i do prefer one i don't see their relationship as like well then two is like this huge fucking disappointment i'm like is it though i don't i don't really understand that response to it neither do i and i mean every time i watch this movie i fall in love with it even more and and i become more and more convinced that the, the that sort of hyperbolic criticism that that you are talking about um is really just people trying to rationalize their discomfort with some of the themes of this film, and it's at, at sometimes quite overt homoeroticism. Right. And like there, there are some corny moments, sure, and, and some awkward line readings here and there. But I think that's true of of most in the entry of most of the entries in the franchise. And you know, like I, I, I think that the 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 strength of this movie is that it is so different from its predecessor. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can agree with that very strongly. I, I think, you know, watching this, especially for the for the podcast, so, I, you know, having to, having to, like, watch it and kind of, like, analyze it, one of the things that struck me was, um, first off, Freddie is still threatening. Um, oh, yes. This is the weird kind of sweet spot where it's still he is still a, like, he's still like, th- this is before like the dream movies came out when it was like, he was rapping with the fat boys and Will Smith. And like, this dude is still <laughs> like, like a legit, like monster, like not likable. Like he's, 
a threat, which none of the other movies up until New Nightmare had. Um, and another thing that like kind of hit me about this movie this time around was like, this film, I think it's safe to say, is kind of almost like Halloween 3 to the first Halloween. In the sense that it kind of doesn't abide by the same rules, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, obviously, Freddy only kills you when you're sleeping. And they do talk about that in this movie. But this movie kind of leans into the whole idea that at times, you know, yes, he's possessing Jesse, but they kind of are like, yeah, but like, what if Freddy could kill you when you were awake? And that's like the, that's where they go with this. And that's done away with by and large in, 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 in the other films. But I, I kind of like the fact that this was almost like a, like a bold step in a different direction before they just like, were no, we're going to get like super creative with the nightmare kills in these other movies. And it's just going to be ridiculous. And you know, he's going to be at the beach. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the second movie. So if they decided to make changes, you can't say, well, they're being untrue to the mythos. Exactly. One, one movie does not make a mythos. Like, exactly, right. yeah. That's and retroactive I, continuity. Right. And exactly. that's like one of the most common criticisms of Freddy's Revenge, which is that it, it, it does away with this established lore. But that lore didn't really exist, arguably, at the time this movie was made. So I, I don't really think that criticism holds much water. It doesn't hold any. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, no. again, it, it's like <clears throat> this isn't like this is part two. You know, this is before goofy trickster Freddy. So it's like any any criticism of that is just like, no, you're just you just don't like the L LGBTQ people. That's all it is. Like, that's what it comes down to is you're uncomfortable with that. And you're just like trying to make up reasons as to why you don't like this movie, because in all honesty, at a surface level, this movie is no worse and arguably better technically than any of the other sequels. It, it, the, the practical effects in this movie are fantastic. And, yes. And yeah. I think it, it was a major improvement on the first film in, in that respect. Well, and I, I do think that uh, 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 Patton's performance is, I, I don't understand what people, I'm I don't want to focus on other people's criticism too much. That's that's I can get my real bag about that, and it's not fair. I'll just say my response, which is that I think he's great in this movie. Like, uh, you know, he he the role that he's asked to play is complicated because I think it's clear to him what he's doing and what the role is about. And it, I, you know, obviously from the history of uh, the what the filmmakers have said about the movie, it wasn't always clear to them what the movie was about, uh, or maybe they were not willing to be honest about what the movie was about. Mm. Um, yeah. but, but I think that he knows what he's doing and I think he fucking kills it in, in, in that way. And I, I also want to, uh, make it clear too. It's easy to focus on him because of what happened. I think a lot of the other performances are good. And, and, um, the woman who plays Lisa, whose name I'm forget the actress's name I'm forgetting, but, um, I believe it's Kim Myers. Yes. I think she's good too. And I don't know the, there, there's a certain, when you see people disrespect this movie, they don't just disrespect, um, Mark Patton, they disrespect her as well. Uh, but you know, she's not, you know, she's not the, the, the scream queen that the other women in the films are or whatever, but I think she's great in this. I really enjoy her in this film and I'm always been confused at the disrespect that they get. You know, I, I, it just seems weird to me. And obviously her one friend is a bit of a cliche, but this is of course a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like this idea that these films aren't filled with cliche characters who just 
deliver one-liners. That's what a lot of these movies are, you know? Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know. and teen archetypes and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, like, I, let's, I, you know, I, I, I tr- I'll try not to do any more commentary on the commentary. The movie itself, I like the, in- the, the, the introduction of him starting off with the, you know, having the nightmare up front. Um, I fucking love... You know, the first thing we see of him is is this kind of immediately sexualized image. I think that's great. You know, him, you know, getting out of bed is, you know, that he's got both the tender boy and hot boy pose in one thing. Like, I love that. I love his family. They're just his dad is ridiculous. Like the the part where he tries to justify what happens with the bird as a gas leak is the best fucking thing in the world. Like there's they just I don't know. Even like just the basics of the Freddy creature design. Freddy is fucking gross, and this when he exposes yeah. his brain, like there's just so much about this that that works for me. Um, I the only thing that I still find a little off putting, and maybe it's off putting in a good way, is the uh, the human face dogs. I've never been really a fan of. That's always been a little weird for me. But otherwise, I I just think so much of this clicks in a, in a really amazing way. I feel exactly the same way, and I actually I want to go back to a point that you made about Patton's performance and the fact that, you know, he he is very much aware of the symbolism of the film and the kind of role he's playing because uh, you know, there there's a there's a moment in the in the film that's kind of early on where um Jesse has this encounter with Freddy in um at at the base of the stair stairs and um you know, it's kind of it's it's very sensual and tactile, and and Freddie is sort of um, you know caressing him with the blades of his glove. And Robert England has talked a lot about how, you know, he picked up on the homoerotic subtext of the movie as well during production, and he made the choice, you know, to 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 caress Jesse's face and, and sort of um, you know m- you know make su- movements su- suggestive of of like oral sex and. Um, I think it's interesting because, you know, for him, what this movie was about was kind of an, an exciting opportunity to explore a different facet of uh, the sure. character of Freddie yeah. and his performance. But for Mark Patton, um, it was kind of an existential nightmare. You know, he saw the writing on the wall and knew how this film and his performance would be interpreted and how it would affect him personally and professionally. And unfortunately, he was right. And so, you know... I, I think that's just an interesting contrast contrast there as far as like, you know, the freedom that a straight actor would have, whereas a gay actor might actually be stymied by exploring, uh, you know, you know, homoerotic themes. Yeah. Well, especially and, and, at that time. And the fan response, right? Like right. the fan response to the movie not exclusively, but partially was people blaming Patton like somehow he had personally gayed up oh. the movie. And including the writer of the film, which oh, I have a yes. lot of oh, a lot God, of yeah. very oh, yes. unkind thoughts about David Chaskin. Um, but but also a feeling that Robert England can do no wrong, right? Because the idea is still like that, you know, Freddie is still the actual star of the movie. And when they bring Freddie over to the next film, there's no feeling of like, oh, Freddie's back, like Robert England's back. Like he really, you know, the performance in the last it's there's no blame on him at all. Whereas, you know, he is participating in this thing that you find so uh, uh, distasteful to your sensitive heterosexual feelings. You know, he's a part, you know, Robert England is a, clearly a part of this performance, but somehow it's all on on Patton to, to be the 
the blame as if Pet also wrote and directed the film. Yeah, which it's just a really frustrating double standard. Yeah, I mean, it's it, again go, going back to um, there's there's nothing that can be, there's nothing that can really be said that hasn't been said already. Um, I think the Never Sleep Again documentary is telling, um, and Robert England's little bit in that is is also very like, you know how these people are falling, falling all over themselves to sort of like absolve themselves of the blame of like, we didn't know it was a movie about, about being gay. We didn't know that. And like, like even the fucking writer is like, Oh, it's not a movie about being gay. And then Robert England's like, ah, fuck those guys. They're all full of shit. Like we all know what it was. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really is like, it, 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 I along like, those lines, Justin, like this is why you need to see scream queen. Cause they talk to more people and definitely more people in the movie were like, I mean, we all knew what it was about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it just it, it, it makes me like it, it 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 kind of makes me feel guilty for enjoying this movie as much as I do because almost everyone involved in making it has like gone out of their way to not quite disown it, but to sort of like push the blame that doesn't exist. Like, there's no need. There's no need to be like. There's no need to defend this movie. There's there's no need at all to like to justify. Um anything about this film and yet these people act like they made fucking sallow and they're they have to be like well you know we did this because of that and it's like i don't know it's just really frustrating knowing that it's this incredible film that gets overshadowed so hard and even when it's even when it's being like even when it's like when people aren't like bashing it it's almost like they're saying they like it ironically or in spite of itself and it's like no this is like this movie has a lot, like you said, like the performance, uh, Patton's performance in this movie is heartbreaking. Like the scene when he's in Grady's bedroom and Freddie is like coming out of him is so pathetic and pitiful that it's, you just like want to hug him. And it's, it, it's, it, it's, I, I mean, even, even the character of Grady, it's, uh, there's something refreshing about a movie that came out in 1985 where a jock and like the new weird, possibly queer kid become like buddies. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up too because at the start of the film, it seems like they're setting up this kind of very typical sort of um, rivalry or tension between them where um, Grady is, you know, kind of like the the asshole jock, but it takes a, compl- a very different direction and, and, and you're right. right, it's very refreshing. Um, I think... My one big misgiving with this movie is that I'm I'm not really wild about how Jesse's conflict resolves. Right. Because if we go with this interpretation that Freddie is, you know, this manifestation of Jesse's internalized homophobia and anxiety about his sexual identity, then it kind of winds up concluding as this weird sort of conversion therapy narrative right. of sorts yep. where the righteousness of the righteousness and and power of heterosexual love prevails and enables him to break free from Freddie's grip. And uh, and I think that, you know, given what David Chaskin has said about this movie over the years and his treatment of Mark Patton, um, I think it's safe to say that that this reinforcement of the heterosexual norm was very much intentional. And so I think that the paradox of the movie is that it is both very homoerotic, but also kind of homophobic. Right. And and so, like, you know, I, I think 
despite despite the movie not working perfectly as as this great queer allegory that that some people make it out to be that's kind of revisionist but you know there's still a lot that that queer people can identify with and relate to and celebrate so i i don't really think there's any conflict here as far as like how this movie tackles um homosexuality or at least there isn't for me but but it's definitely it definitely has some some elements to it that problematize problematize the reading of this as like this um you know uh internalized homophobia narrative i'm I'm glad you brought that up because i was about to ask you and if people aren't sure exactly what we're talking about because i think the narrative around the queer aspects of the film has turned mostly positive in recent years Partly because uh, for a lot of people, they've reclaimed it as like a campy, fun, whatever, whatever. But like you don't have to dig very deep on Letterboxd or on the Internet to find plenty of uh, queer horror fans who hate this movie, who felt like attacked by this movie. And so it's like there, you know, there is a variety of opinions. The same as, you know, for for people who aren't longtime fans of the show. Uh, The last time we had Adriana on, we were talking about Cruising, another film that has... um, complicated responses from people uh but in this film i i kind of identify with the response a little bit more i I really do think the intention of the film regardless of Patton's performance or some of the parts of it that uh are 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 a little more i don't know uh, accidentally insightful yeah exactly i think the intention (laughs) of the film it does end on like you know uh I don't know how else to put it, but an anti-gay message. Like, you know, I love Lisa as a character, but the idea that he needs this heterosexual woman to come save him from the the gay demon inside him, or even if it's not that, even if it's more like his judgment of himself, it still feels as if their connection is what saves him. I think you have to stretch to make their connection romantic, though. I, I will say, like, yeah. that's, you know, the the one the one love scene they have is definitely, you know, when, when, when the mutant tongue comes out of his mouth, it's like, yeah, that's more what this feels like. This is not a hot scene, per se. Right. But, but, uh, but I do think, like, I don't think the movie is meant to be affirming for people, but I do think isn't that part of the strength of, of queer interpretation anyway, that so many people have been able to watch this and still find something affirming in it is just like, you know, uh, uh, part, part of what's amazing about people, honestly. Absolutely. But yeah, um, it is funny that the, the, the push to make sure everyone knows the push by not just the, you know, the directors kind of come around, I guess, a little bit, but of the writer to there's nothing gay about this movie. It's like, well, you should have probably just embraced it and said, yeah, it's an anti-gay movie because that's really what you tried to write. I, I feel well, like he kind of did. I mean, in recent years, he has finally admitted that, yes, you know, this this film was in the writing of this film. He was very much kind of inspired by. Um, you know this the sexual identity anxiety that was happening around AIDS, right? And and you know after years and years of throwing Mark Patton under the bus and saying you know his disgusting gayness polluted this movie. So if you if you uh, read anything queer into it, it's his fault. He finally came out and said, no, I, I intentionally wrote um, a movie about, um, you know internalized homophobia except you know he he does he didn't use that language he was basically like this you know if, I, I forgot what he said but he admitted it I, I think it's telling um, that for me the weakest part of this movie is the end because of everything that we've just been talking about how it, it feels almost like I mean even on a technical level a happy ending doesn't make sense 
in the eyes of the rest of the world, this dude has killed several people. Um, but yeah, the whole thing where it's like he is saved by the love of a woman is queer subtext aside. I think it's 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 a it's a stupid ending. It's a fucking it's a ridiculously corny ending. Um, yeah, I, I, sure. Yeah. You know for, what I mean? For like a it, film for a film that manages to be upsetting, I think take that ending and juxtapose it with the party scene. Like, I, I don't care what anyone says, the imagery in the party scene is some of the most upsetting shit to happen in any yes. Nightmare on Elm Street movie, period. Yeah. Like, it's it's fucking nightmare fuel. And to, to put that in comparison to, like, I don't know, she just really cares about him, so he wins out over Freddy. Like, it's just that they feel like two different movies in a way. Or this, or the scene where Freddy bursts out of his stomach. Unbelievable! Unbelievable. Oh my god! In, in Grady's bedroom, which I mean, I think that is my favorite sequence of the movie, not only for the practical effects, but for how extremely gay it is. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that that's also the scene I think that like really makes you empathize with with not just Jesse but with Grady as well. Yeah. Because you know, it, it's it's sort of like Grady is written as this like dumb jock guy, but he's still like when Jesse shows up in the middle of the night and is like can I stay here because I think I killed somebody he, without hesitation. He's like, yes, like I'm going to take care of you. And yeah. then it gets him, it gets him killed. It's like, um, I want to pairing this with butcher Baker, nightmare maker. Uh, it, it kind of helped me see something about this movie that I realized I'm not comfortable with is, uh, we're going to spoil alert for butcher Baker. Um, the thing I liked most about that was the fact that the gay men in that movie were portrayed as just like, quote unquote, normal guys. Like the yeah. coach in that movie was just like, hey, it's just this guy. Where is the coach in this movie? Uh, you know, it, it's almost like they were like, well, what do gay men do? They go to leather bars and tie little boys. Like, it, I think the depiction of, of of Coach Snyder in this movie was 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 almost like, really? Like we're gonna we're gonna have him be like a leather daddy who's like seducing a like a young student like that's what we want to do like that's how we want to that's how we want to paint like out you know gay men who are out and I never like I never because before it's like when I saw it I was just like this is insanity this is this is so ridiculous that I I couldn't really look at it and be like oh no that's that actually kind of bothers me that that's the that's the portrayal and depiction they they, they chose of a. Of, of, of like a legit gay man was this fucking Rob Halford over the top type. Um, okay. I have a few things to say. First of all, I, I just want to make clear, like if you are a weather daddy and you're into twinks, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah um, no doubt. No doubt. But, but yes, there is definitely a stark contrast in how the, the two coach characters in these films are portrayed. Um, I also just want to talk about, uh, you know, that, 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 queer S&M bar that we see um, Grady mentions it pretty early in the movie as he's talking to Jesse about about coach Schneider yep. um, you know he mentions that that's a place where sh that Schneider frequents but uh, we finally see it um, later in the film and um, I just find it very amusing um, you know that this is what the people who made this movie think a gay S and M weather bar looks like, right? <laughs> yeah. right. Because it's, it, it, it's yeah, it, it's not like any gay bar I've ever been in 
or have ever heard about. It kind of just looks like your standard alternative bar. Right. Uh, you know, it's full of people of all, all kinds of persuasions. But yeah, it, it's very comical. Like clearly, very vanilla straight people made this movie. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I just want to say, um, I agree with I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Justin, just in the extremity of it, like we're going to caricature something clearly we don't understand. Uh, I don't want to disrespect though Marshall Bell. I actually like him. Like he's so ridiculous. Yeah, he's great. And I love the decision they make where he's still in his leather gear and he's organizing the uti- the utility closet. Like he's yeah. like, yeah. well, you know, he's in the showers. I might as well organize these basketballs while I got my harness on. I think that's all <laughs> hilarious, but it is ridiculous that they're like, yeah, what kind of bar would this guy go to uh, that, you know, wh- what's a fetish bar like? And it's just like, like, I don't know, a bar where people are listening to industrial, I guess. Like, it's just not, it's it's just not clear that they know. I mean, granted. It's not, not the ramrod. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not looking for them to recreate uh, cruising necessarily in this movie. But it's it's so far away from anything that you just feel like, it, it, again, it feels like a kid's version of like, I don't know, yeah. I heard the coach goes to a scary bar. What would a scary bar look like? like? Like a, like a kid's version or a homophobe's version of a gay bar. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Basically. Which, I mean, same difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just on the subject of Marshall Bell, I his performance kind of has this sort of arch bitchiness to it yes, that yes. I actually kind of really like. But again, yes. that's, a, that's another difference between his performance and Steve or Steve Easton's performance in um, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, where, mm-hmm. where Co- Coach, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Coach Landers has is this sort of kind of like average Joe, all sure. American dude vibe, uh, and that's very much not what Marshall Bell is going for. But I like Bell's performance. But yeah. something else I noticed while I I rewatched this movie for this podcast is that Steve Easton is also in Nightmare on Elm Street too. He's one of the cops who brings Jesse home right. after yes. after yes. the Holy sequence. Shit. With Schneider's murder, yeah. I'm like, oh, there he is. That's you know, because when I when I suggested doing both of these movies together, I thought they would make sense thematically, but there is actually that connection as well. I know that's great. I noticed that as well. I was going to bring it up later. It's so like, oh, cool, weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, Adriana, and like, in fact, uh, I I'm trying to remember who it was, but someone was listing their favorite uh, evil gay characters. You know, saying like they love a good a, a good evil gay character because they feel like they As identify with. Yeah, and and this coach was on the list. Was like, come on, this guy, this is this is truly he's truly just out for these kids. And of course, you know, the film wants to give that a a a. a, a a pedophilic turn, you know, like that that's whatever, where in reality, maybe he's just mean to these kids because it's just like, these kids suck. You know, I'm going to make them do push-ups. Like the idea that, yeah, the idea that it has to be about sex is like, Again, a very homophobic way to interpret a mean coach. Right. It's like, eh, it's because he wants to fuck them. Or he just like is mad and he's just like, fuck these kids, do some push-ups, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, whatever. Anyway, there's a lot. I, I, I don't want to discount. There's a lot here that probably people find ridiculous because we're talking about the coach and the coach is, 
you know, whipped in the ass to death in the in the shower. And I get that that's like, you know, just something that people want to laugh at. But I, I also think like, you know, it's so easy for some interpretation of this film, even good natured ones, to just be like, oh, it's so dumb. And it's like, I just don't think that's what's going on in this movie. I, I just want to caution people not to just make this like purely – uh, something you want to like, uh, I don't know, lampoon or something. I think there's a lot here to be actually disturbed by. There's real horror here. It's not just a, a cartoon. Yeah. All right. I don't know how much more there is to say. I, there's probably a million things more to say, but I don't know how much more anyone wants to say before we switch to our other film. Is there any other points we want to hit before we switch gears? This is the best. I think we hit the big movie. ones. I'm willing to say this is the second best Night Ride off Street movie, but I can't. The scars of the first one run deep. You know, watching uh, watching uh, Mr. Depp die in his waterbed. Just Don't has, be a coward. Too Don't much. be a coward. <laughs> I, I think number two is still pretty good. You know what? I'm not going to take the bait on that one. I'm not going to take the bait. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this, and there's more to say. Uh, and If listeners have more that they want to say about their deep love for this movie if you if you have hate you can keep it to yourself but if you want to tell us more about your deep love hit us up on social media we'd love that uh i guess we're going to switch to butcher baker nightmare maker or night warning or it probably has other titles i don't know we'll be right back to talk about butcher baker nightmare maker later re-released as night warning we'll be right back so shocking so terrifying so powerful Night Warning has been named Best Horror Film of the Year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie, young, innocent, in love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Without knowing, they've uncovered a deadly secret. By accident, they've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now, they know too much to live. chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night Warning. And we are back to talk about 1981's American exploitation horror film directed by William Asher, Butcher, Baker, Nightmare Maker, later re-released as Night Warning. This is an Oedipus movie. Where there's a guy and he fucks his mom or wants to or she wants to. I don't know. I've never read Shakespeare. I'm just a simple man. I've never read Shakespeare. Fuck you. I'm just a simple man. Um, this this movie I really like, but it made me want to die, kind of. It made me feel like a lot of nasty things. Um, I, I think it's a classic example of, uh, I don't know. Let me let me let me let me sort some things out and ask our guest, Adriana, why did you pick this film? 
Um, well, I, I really love it, but yep. I, I just thought yep. it, it was as um, it would pair nicely with Nightmare on Elm Street too. Oh, uh, another reason I, I chose it is because it just hit Shutter, and so it's going to be reaching um, a much wider audience. And and so I just thought, you know, it 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 would be timely if we discussed it. But I think it's um, a film that you pointed out, Adriana, could be possibly misinterpreted by people as well. Oh yeah, um, and you know, it's because it deals very frankly with homophobia, and and it, you know, it 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 features a character who is kind of like a a homophobia machine. Um, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. So I don't even know where to start with, with this movie really. There's so much going on. It is so well, it, uh, insane. I, I um, think it's worth, it's, I think it's worth naming that what the, the first thing that Justin talked about it, as far as, you know, I, I think not just in the idea of Oedipal, but that, that there's, this is, this is about family secrets is, is, a, is like the main thrust of the movie is the relationship between Jesse and his quote-unquote what billy billy sorry billy and his quote-unquote aunt however it's the um, main what uh, i said thrust narrative thrust yeah of the film uh however the film is complicated by the fact of this other character so really the film seems to have these two villains the one is uh aunt Again, quote unquote, Cheryl, but also uh, Detective Joe Carlson. Uh, Carlson is played by Bo Svensson, who is this. Uh, as Adriana said, he is a homophobia machine. He is so virulently uh, 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 homophobic, anti-gay, hating of the very idea uh, of of uh, specifically gay men that he can't see his fucking nose in front of his face, and so everyone around him is like very much like. Something's going on with Cheryl. I don't know what it is, but I feel like Cheryl's behind all this like weird murder stuff, and he just can't see it until like we we as an audience have ex- has felt this movie that is you know kind of functioning at a very psychological, uh, almost mommy dearest level of like family disturbing you know situations. It explodes into like total. Th- slasher territory murder everywhere severed limbs blood you know whatever and my man shows up and he's still ready to 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 kill the queers you know that's what he's yeah and you know go ahead i'm sorry go on adriana I, i mean i was just going to say i think you know this movie would have worked completely fine um if it were just this sort of you know murder mystery story or that it just focused on um, you know the relationship between Susan uh, Terrell's character and um, her nephew, uh, but they kind of took the the filmmakers took this extra step to add this this uh, you know commentary on homophobia, which I really appreciate. And so, you know, you, you have the you have this this completely terrible cop character who you know there's a moment in the in the movie where he confronts billy outside when when billy is shooting hoops and um he he's he's kind of accusing him of of, and he this is not not for the first time he's accusing him of of killing this tv repairman and uh at a certain point he says you know what 
I'm quoting the film here. What does make sense is if you're a fag. And uh, no, it doesn't make sense at all. Actually, it's, it's this huge leap in logic uh, and exactly the kind of um, ridiculous and fallacious reasoning a homophobe would have. And I think, you know, it, it speaks to what this movie does really well, which is um, it, it, it really drives home the point that you know, homophobia is this social poison that completely corrodes everything it touches and warps the mind. Because in this guy's mind, there is absolutely no reason why a young, red-blooded, heterosexual man uh, would ever socialize with or admire and look up to a gay man, um, which is kind of what the relationship is between Billy and his, his coach, Tom, is that uh, Tom is this mentor figure t- to Billy, Um, and so in, um, Detective Carlson's mind, this must mean that Billy is gay because anything else would completely shatter this very narrow, um, essentialist understanding of, of the world and how things work that he has lived very comfortably with his whole life. And, you know, that is unfortunately how a lot of people are in real life. And so this feels very real to me. Um, you know, and, and I just, I, I really love that this movie goes there and and Justin brought up the fact that it it made him very uncomfortable with with the, how homophobic this character is um but i mean that's that's how people are and um you know the fact that it and it kind of like it, it includes this this gay character who um is heroic i mean at the end he 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 comes in and he saves billy um you know i think that's like the perfect um period at, at the end of the kind of like the 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 sentence that is uh i don't know i think i think i i kind of lost my way with that one but uh you see what no, i'm saying well, like, but i but it, and i think it's worth highlighting too it it what i was saying before too is like and i think you you sort of made it really plain adriana by saying like the film could function without that aspect and the filmmakers have brought it in but i also think it harmonizes with the main uh, thing in the film because what we have is this uh, woman who um, uh, is you know uh, uh, dealing with all sorts of of mental health issues, but her own sort of relationship with her uh, what is in theory her nephew, but is actually her son, yeah. is salacious and is part of the kind of a uh, degrading aspect of the movie. So what what we're given here is this like very noble. Uh, gay man and this very uncomfortable heterosexual relationship that is like everything that is bad that could happen in in this thing that we lift up like there's this idea somehow uh, within heteronormativity that identities outside of heterosexuality threaten the family but you know the coach isn't the threat to uh, Billy's family at all it's actually this uh, relationship which actually as we see starts with another sort of unhealthy connection that she has to this older man and his willingness to uh, sleep with an underage uh, woman and get her pregnant now granted she does murder him so it's you know there's there's issues on both sides but it seems to me like Probably this older man has taken advantage of her, uh, and 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 uh, and and so she's given up her child, and there's all the complications there. And then you know, obviously, like I said, she's a a, a, a villain as well. But it, it is her her 
her example is like this thing that is so important to you that somehow same-sex love taints is actually in and of itself pretty un- can be pretty unhealthy actually it's it's pretty corrupt on its own and it doesn't need the very nice coach to be a threat to it it's a, it's a threat to itself yeah and just to your point i think the movie kind of underscores this you know with there's this moment where you know Aunt Cheryl is talking to Billy and she says, you know, she, do you know that homosexuals are very, very sick? And she's trying to <laughs> convince him that Coach Landers is, is a bad influence. And, you know, this is coming from a character, you know, who murders several people and has an alarming incestuous obsession with her own son. And, and you know, the hypocrisy behind, the, behind these words is, is glaringly apparent. Um, but for me... The real horror of this moment is the fact that, you know, her words echo the real life sentiments of, of, of countless politicians yes. And, yes. and moral yes. panic scolds who demonize and scapegoat queer people while they, they turn a blind eye to the sins of their in-groups. And, and we see that happen in this movie as well. Um, and just one, one other thing I want to point out on this subject, going back to the coach, because I forgot to mention it earlier, but I think it's important, which, you know... The, the movie kind of skirts around the the exact nature of Billy's sexuality. We, you know, we see that he is um, into his girlfriend, but even she kind of questions him because, you know, they they aren't intimate as frequently as maybe um, they could be. And 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 so the the movie raises questions about this, but it doesn't really delve too deeply into it or or confirm one way or another. And I'm kind of glad because ultimately it doesn't matter. You know, we don't get to decide how other people navigate their identity or how they identify themselves, and we aren't entitled to the intimate details of their lives. And and, and so, you know, labels can be very useful in many ways, uh, but they can also lead to misunderstandings and conflict. And, and angst and so this cop is unfairly projecting so much onto billy um and i like that the movie touches on that and i you know i like i like the way that it, it kind of depicts how people can develop tunnel vision and get so hung up on their perception of other people regardless of how accurate it is i mean at, at a certain point like i mean at many points in this movie different people point out that the aunt is very suspicious you know uh, the yes. sergeant cook character multiple times comes to detective carlson and says like hey i think we should look more closely at this cheryl roberts lady you know there's evidence that potentially implicates her and he just Carlson just will not hear it. Like he is so adamant that Billy has to be exactly how he thinks he should be, and I think it's, that really speaks to how damaging um, uh, labels can be. And it's worth noting that you know, as as I've sort of said, he is very much one of the villains of the movie, but he's also in his own way depraved, right? We see him be racist towards uh, a Mexican man. We see him sexually harass the various sex workers that are brought in. Like he, he, I, the movie He's doesn't say this. He's grossly invested in in Billy's sex life. Yes, I mean that's what I I think the movie doesn't say this directly, but I think you have to be not paying attention to realize that um, part of the way his homophobia functions is it allows him to feel superior to someone. He's right. clearly a fucking like waste. Like he has fucked up his life. He is an unhappy, uh, angry man 
basically abusing everyone around him but you know he's not one of those gay guys so he gets to be feel good and in a sense the same thing happens with uh and cheryl though to be fair uh susan terrell's performance is so utterly insane like it's so over the top just seen chewing just amazing And, and none of that is meant to be negative that's one of the selling points of the movie um that we take it less seriously when she's disgusted by coach by the coach, uh, I already forgot his last name. Um, uh, Landers. Landers. He, he, we take it less seriously, but it's the same thing, right? Like, uh, she also needs someone to feel superior to, and it turns out she feels superior not only to uh, gay folks, but also to any heterosexual woman who's tried to come between her and Billy. Right. She, she feels superior. It, it seems like to everybody actually, because they're all fodder for her to eventually murder if she has to. So, but I, I think. Both of those choices, I think, are intentional to make sure we know that it's it, they're not good people with bad opinions. They're bad people, and their bad opinion helps them to function. To it, it, it works for them. It does them a service to feel superior to someone. Um, and you know, it's not clear that the other people around them don't also maybe have some homophobic tendencies. You know, like the one police officer maybe, but he's not so overwhelmed by it that he's too stupid to realize there's something else going on here right. you know he he at least can be rational if he's not exactly uh egalitarian and i th- i think since you mentioned Susan Terrell's performance i think we should probably talk about that just a little bit cuz i really think that's like th- for many people the big draw of of this yes. movie is just this absolutely bonkers tour de force performance that she gives um it's unbelievable yeah, I, yeah justin what did you think of susan Terrell's performance um just because we was been so talking good about it. it it annoyed me <laughs> it, it, how well, did it annoy you well no i mean because it's like i i i like like her performance didn't annoy me the character annoyed me like the, the character was so unlikable but she's um, so good at Good at being no, that's what I'm unlikable. saying. Is it, it's 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 commendable because she actually made me hate the character. Like that's the sign of a good. Uh, she she hit it out of the park, and it's like, I think she did. She created an actually insidious, depraved character. In a way that was over the top, but at the same time was still utterly believable, and it wasn't so cartoonish where it took me out of the moment, and I like. If it had been like it, very easily could have strayed in the territory where it could have been like, I can't take this seriously. Like this is, but like the way she touches uh, Billy, like even in the beginning, oh like when she like goes to wake him up, you're like, she should be touching. Yeah, like, even when yeah. she's his aunt, you're like, you shouldn't be touching a kid like that. Like, it's are you so fucking unnerving. insane? It's so creepy, and just the way she talks to him, and it because. I, I don't know. Like it, it just and, and, and the thing is that like that that kind of like caught me off guard was that it escalates. Like it starts out and she's like, yeah, maybe she's like a little like doting, but you could just chalk it up to like, you know, she's lost so much already. She lost like she lost her sister and her 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 brother in law, or her brother and her sister in law. Like this kid is like all she's had. And now, like, he's going away to college, so maybe there's, like, a little, like, there's a little bit of that going on, but it soon becomes apparent that it, there's so much more than that going on. Um, and it's done in a way that it, it, it almost makes you feel, like, culpable in what you're seeing. 
Right. Um, yeah, and and there's so many layers to the performance as well, and it's like yeah. just a slow burn meltdown. Like she's her character is basically like this ticking time bomb, bomb, you know, that winds down into this eruption of of carnal mania and psychosis yes. and it, it's kind of like very much in the tradition of like the psycho bitty archetype yeah um and it's just the kind of kind of thing susan terrell is just so good at uh and and she she soars in this movie she, yeah it really it really goes from being she really goes from being like like a mildly a mildly salacious aunt where you're like okay this is like very taboo but what we're seeing but that's what we came here to see we came here to be made uncomfortable we were watching this movie to be made at unease but she eventually just like after she cuts her hair she just becomes this like weird shambling ghoul person that is so like just watching her you're just like this unpredictable uh fucking force that is willing to literally do anything to protect or not to protect to uh to con- to keep consuming uh, her son slash nephew, that it really is like, what the fuck am I watching? Like I like it was almost too much, but it was it was just close enough to being too much where it was like just perfect. And well, there, there's this thing where when she first kills someone, it really is kind of surprising and jarring. Like whoa, like this is where we're at. But by the time she explodes in violence again, it's almost a release. Like you're just like. I know we're going there. Like, I know we're building towards some sort of fucking chaos. Like, okay, finally, she's just going to start murdering people because she's ramped it up so far to that point that it's, like, utterly believable. Like, of course she's chopping hands off and and smashing with rocks. That's where she's at. And it's the, the... the fury that she's able to muster up is utterly compelling. Like it's so frightening and it's so funny. Like I watched an interview with her where she talked about the movie and she described her performance so lightly. So like, you know, I was trying to amuse myself. I was trying to have fun. Like I I was trying to make this thing enjoyable for me. And I'm like, well, uh, you killed it. lady. Like Jesus Christ. And you know, I, I get probably, the experience of making this movie was probably exhausting, you know, like she's talking about the scene where she's uh, uh, trying to smash. uh, What is, uh, sorry guys, Uh, his, uh, his girlfriend's name, Julie. He's, she's trying to smash Julie Julie in the head with a rock. And, uh, and she talked in this interview about how like, you know, that's a million takes. It's freezing. She's not having fun. It's going really slowly. Like in the shot, it looks really realistic, but she's actually going slowly so they could like speed the film up a little bit so she doesn't hurt her. And it, she's just ex- describing this excruciating experience. But like when she's describing that, all I'm in awe of is the magic of filmmaking because in the scene, I don't know how you guys felt, but when she attacks her in that pond, I was like, well, she just killed that girl. Like she just, that that actress is actually just smashed in the head with a rock, which by the way, big ups to uh, Julia Duffy, who I was like, did not realize the first time I saw this movie, I didn't realize who that was. And it was only the second time that I was like, 
isn't that the lady from Newhart? Like, what is going on right now? And it took me, I had to look her up and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's in this movie. Anyways, that that scene is great. And so I, there's a lot of things like that where I'm sure in the making, maybe it didn't feel impactful. But watching it now, I think her performance is like, it really is on that line where sure it's over the top, but it's not over the top in a way where it ruins anything. It only makes things better in this film. Yeah, and just um, going back to this, the sort of escalating violence of this movie and, and how effective it is, um, there's a two things I want to mention. The first is that the, um, the practical effects for this movie were done by this guy named Alan Apone, or Apone, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually sure on the pronunciation, but he went on to do effects for the MCU, and also uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation on a couple of episodes. Um, but I think the, the, he did a great job. Like the, the, the gore in this movie is pretty squirm-inducingly effective yes. at points. And I think um, it kind of... It, uh, it's helped also by this, this kind of technique where um, the camera shutter speed slows down at certain points where... I mean, for example, during the first murder, like this inciting incident of this movie where um, Aunt Cheryl murders Tom Landers' boyfriend, the the television repairman, where, um, yeah, the shutter speed slows down and we see the the knife plunge into his neck and it's it's very uh, gross and upsetting. And and so I, I, you know, I think that creative choice um, works really well. And, and and underscores this horrible violence really well. Oh man, this movie! I I just want to be clear too. Like we, I think, and you know, for good reason. Me and Adriana jumped into this discussion talking about some of the more uh, meta aspects about the the depiction of homosexuality and and really i I really do want to say that the humanization of the coach character is really important and i think is really effective that doesn't change the fact that this is one of the most batshit fucking movies i i I saw this first at a uh at an exhumed event i think at one of the horathons and then i traveled from the lehigh valley to brooklyn to see it at the nighthawk for a late night screening one time because I love it so much. And when I realized I could get this under, because I, I, I only knew it as Night Warning, but to get it under the original title from Code Red as a Blu-ray, I like went out of my way to get this thing because I just, I'm obsessed with it. It is so amazing. It, it, it's just rare for a movie to be this over the top, have so many just like on paper insane elements, but still be effective. I am no, at no point watching this laughing at this movie. You know what yeah. I mean? No. There's no derision for the film. It's very effective. And, you know, it's it's a movie that not a lot of people talk. I, I guess people are talking about it right now because it's on Shudder and it's been kind of rediscovered. But, you know, the only time I, I know that it got any attention is apparently it, it was nominated for Best Horror Movie at the Saturn Awards in 1982. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, that's the most attention it got until more recently. And so, like, that's crazy. This this should be 
you know, to me, a classic of the genre. It is it is a slasher film, but it's also a psychological horror film, and it has a bunch of icky, gross, grimy stuff to it that I think appeals to people, and I don't know. I, I just think, again, I'm not saying it's unknown. There are a lot of people who love this movie, but I think it should be even more well-known. It is so good at what it's doing. Yeah, and actually, um, I, I may this may be a spicy take, Do it. Um, but I, I just want to say, you know, for me, this this movie in some ways is kind of um, the like great gay slasher film that a lot of people say Nightmare on Elm Street Two is, uh, which is not to discredit Nightmare on Elm Street Two at all. Like, obviously, I like it. We just had a whole conversation about how much I love that movie, but um, you know, I I think. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker explores a lot of the same themes, but just better. And it's just a better movie overall. And, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised that this movie has kind of fallen between the cracks a bit. Um, because I, I think it just kind of, I mean, it, it, it deals with homosexuality and homophobia in a very overt way that I think was probably a little bit, uncomfortable or too ahead of its time and so a movie like nightmare on elm street where that is very much like subtext uh, was a bit safer and a bit more accessible which isn't to say that um you know there aren't other aspects of butcher baker nightmare maker that make it less accessible but i think i think the um the gay element um the the overt gay element was was kind of a, a, a major factor there I agree. I mean, you know, we're talking about it having a strong anti-homophobia angle to it. And this is a movie from 1981. And I don't know how much of the culture was on that. You know, what once once the and you had an unambiguously gay hero in this movie, too. Yes. Agreed. Oh, there was someone else I was going to say. And now I totally forgot. Sorry. Oh, one thing I think worth noting. The interview I was talking about with Susan Terrell, she claims this is an interview from 2008. She claimed that that was the first time she watched the movie. That uh, when it came out, she was convinced it was going to be terrible and she never saw the film. And so as part of this interview, they showed her the movie. And after you know filming her watching it and filming her responses to it, when it was over, she actually said that she quite enjoyed it. <laughs> and I kind of love that. I kind of love that idea that maybe she thought, I don't know, this is going to be bad. And then watching it you know, in her later years, she thought, I don't know, I'm pretty good at this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she's good in every movie she's in. Let's be sure, real. Sure, sure. But I don't think she thought of it that way. She thought right. of it as maybe something she wasn't proud of. Uh, but, you know, I watched that interview and there's a couple moments where she's like really intense and she like straight up just looks at the camera like that was really good. And I was like, yeah, it was, Susan. You're right. Yeah. I, I know what movie you're, or I'm sorry. I know what interview you're talking about. That's on the Code Red Blu-ray. Yep. And she also kind of just riffs the whole movie. Like, yes. like they film her watching it and she is providing this running commentary where she kind of just like pokes at the movie and makes fun of it a little bit but i which i which i thought was very amusing um but yeah uh, she's fantastic in this film i would put this performance right up there with her performance in fat city um it's just an unforgettable performance yeah i agree justin what any other thoughts before we wrap up here buddy no i mean i i wanted to say 
I mean, you guys said it pretty articulately already, but it's like, um, I think the depiction of homophobes in this movie is a perfect representation. You know, even though this, even though this came out 40 years ago at the onset of the Reagan era, um, I mean, this is still how homophobes, like, you know, homophobes on the right, this is how they still act. It's like, you know, they're the ones who are, you know, you find out that these people are sexual, you know, you know, they are, they're accused of rape. They're accused of, you know, sexual assault, pedophilia, whatever, but they're still convinced that it's like gay people who are, who are the true evil ones. And yeah, much uh, like coach Carlson, they project. That's all yeah, they do. Like he is in, I mean, even outside of his uh, homophobia, he's like an unrepented fucking horrible human being as is, uh, you know, Susan Tyrell's character, but it's like, yeah, sure. It's, 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 it's the gays who are bad. And I just think, you know, for a movie that came out, like I said, 40 years ago, um, it's as timely as ever because it's like the worst people are still the ones who were convinced that it's like, uh, you know, two guys who, you know, love each other. They're, they're the real problem with society, not fucking bigotry and, uh, short sightedness and anti anti intellectualism. It's, 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 it's gay guys. They're, they're, they're the problem. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And and what I think, you know, Adriana said this too, but you know, I love that there all of that is in there. And also this is a truly psychotic movie. It's the yes. combo of, oh, I like all of this. And also, what the fuck is happening? I love yep. that. And and in the end, they never really do clarify what's going on with Billy. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, I, I don't be wrong, it's not that I don't believe his love scene, but you know, right. I don't know, maybe Billy's bi. Who knows? Who cares? I mean, what's more upsetting? That Billy might also like men, or that Billy's mom wants to fuck him and is clearly willing to murder for it. And uh, has to some bound people yeah. with a machete. Yeah, exactly. Like clearly there's a there's an issue here, and it's not who Billy likes. That's not the issue at play. So I don't know. Anyways, if you have haven't seen this and you have made it through this whole discussion go watch it it's available on shutter i mean i don't know that you can find the blu-ray but if you can it's worth whatever it costs i really think this is a movie worth uh seeking out all right i co-signed that also hard co-signed um so that's it for butcher baker nightmare maker and for our adriana episode adriana thank you so much for being on here um thanks for having me back Oh, it's you're welcome to come back anytime you want. Uh, is there anything? Can people follow you on on social media or anything like that? Is there anything you wanna you wanna talk about? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're on Twitter, you can find me at e a d x b b, and um, I I don't really have anything else to add. Um, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is streaming now on Shutter. It's available sometimes on Blu-ray from Code Red, depending on if Bill Olson feels like making more copies available. <laughs> um, and a Nightmare on Elm Street too. I, I imagine you can find it on m- several streaming services. It's on I HBO think. Max. It's on HBO Max. There you go. Definitely give these a watch. All right. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Be sure to check out Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters at www.xlvacx.com and essexcoffeeroasters.com. Um, you can become a patron if you'd like with us at Cinepunk, at patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. Uh, you can head to cinepunks.com to check out more episodes of this podcast and a bunch of other good podcasts. Um, follow us on the social medias at thehorrorbiz666. And uh, until next time, 
Um, hmm. Fuck Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, I like that one. Don't talk, just listen. Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.